Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Nesbitt Connection podcast, where we are all about building better leaders. I personally am very passionate about helping the boots on the ground and all the leaders and future leaders who take their showers, we'll call after work. What do you want to be remembered for? Great question, isn't it? I can almost promise you the complacency isn't the thing that you want to be remembered for. If you're looking for perfection, though, don't look at me, because there's probably been times in my past, and even maybe today, when I've been complacent. The thing is, is it all starts as an infection, and it turns into a disease, just like cancer. It's all around us. We see it every day. Everywhere, everywhere you look, we see complacency. I think it was Andy Stanley who said that success breeds complacency, and complacency breeds failure. You know, like I say, we've seen it. Is there a culture of complacency where you are? You know, to me, culture, the easiest way to describe it, is a bit like the wind. You know, it's something that you can't see, but boy, you sure can feel it when you step outside. You know, culture simply means it's the way we do things around here. You know, how are things in your organization? That is your culture. You know, I often hear from most leaders before I do any training, we say with companies, quite often I'll ask some questions. You know, how can I help you? What are the team's strengths? What are the weaknesses? And if there's one thing that I get to hear all the time, and it's from you, is that some of our most, we'll call it experienced or more senior people, are the ones who tend to be the most complacent. And these are some of the things that I get to hear from you. You know, complacency is coming in late. You know, complacency is leaving early. You know, it's not completing the jobs. You know, they won't get their paperwork done. They won't do their tailgate safety meetings. You know, they're set in their ways. And then we often hear, you know, and I've heard this before so many times, it's a, it's a kind of a complacency excuse, is you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I'm here to tell you we're not here teaching old dogs. And we're not here teaching tricks, okay? We are working with somebody's son or daughter, and we want to make sure that we help them, you know, not be complacent and and maybe even see what it is, you know, where they're maybe, um, you know, maybe where they're a little bit weak. I, I firmly believe, and I've said this before, you know, everything rises and falls on leadership. When we're in a leadership role, we go first. And that being said, you know, we get what we tolerate. You know, we get what we tolerate. You know, it's funny because, you know, quite often if we want an answer for something, we'll look to Google. You know, Google simply calls it a complacent person is very pleased with themselves or feels that they do not need to do anything about a situation. Another example they use is complacency is a feeling of contentment or self-satisfaction often combined with a lack of awareness or pending trouble. I'm going to tell you, this has happened to me. You know, I, I've I've missed it. I've missed the billboards. There's, there was billboards in my past that I've missed, didn't pay attention. And I'm begging you to make sure to pay attention to those billboards. So let's ask ourselves a simple, simple question. You know, have we been incentivizing or encouraging complacent behaviors? You know, because you got to remember what gets rewarded gets repeated. You know, we could very well be rewarding our best people you know, financially for their behaviors. And they think because we're you know, rewarding them so well that they're doing great. When, yes, maybe they are. They're making you money, but that doesn't mean they're not complacent. So, of course, you know, I, you know, I've, again, I've personally fell victim to these big performance bonuses. You know, they made me think I was doing great. Meanwhile, I was sacrificing my own credibility, you know, with my own actions and behaviors. You know, the funny thing is, is we all have stories 
of complacent leaders or complacent companies. You know, the, my favorite story, and I share this almost every keynote talk that I give, is that I grew up in a home that I would call a GMC household. General Motors ruled. You know, I remember, you know, my dad's friends and neighbors would come over and, and they'd start teasing each other. You know, my, the neighbor would say he had Fords and my dad had GM. And the funny thing is, you know, the, the, there was, it was a little, little rivalry. It was fun. And if you don't know that, or if you don't believe that people do as people see, I can remember going to school the next day and, and my friends and I, we'd be having that same argument, teasing because we'd be sticking up. You know, so that being said, you know, I was raised on GMC. You know, I wore the hat. And, and the funny thing is, you know, when I was a kid, we'd go on road trips. And, you know, and I would sit in the back seat of the car. You know, my dad always drove a great big Oldsmobile 98 Regency. Classic car. The back seat was just like a Kesterfield. A big couch in the back seat. It was unbelievable. And, and, and when I was a kid, there was no such thing as DVD players in the back seat. What we did for boredom is I would actually count trucks and cars. And I remember when I was a kid, one in three cars on the road back then were made by General Motors. One in three. You know, there was Cadillacs and Pontiacs and Buicks and Oldsmobiles, Chevrolets. Everywhere you looked, there was a GMC. You know, GMC even had what I would call a fall from grace. So much so that, you know, you look around today... You know, you know, there's there's everything. There's Hyundai's and Kias and Hondas. None of that was around when I was a kid. And just to add to this, you know, GM fell so hard. I'm a Ford guy today. So if you think that you can't fall, well, if GMC can fall, so can you. And so can our people. And we want to make sure that we catch our people before we fall or before they fall. One of the greatest sayings that I ever heard, and I love this saying, is to whom much is given, much will be required. You know, and, and the thing is, is, you know, for your organization to start to drift, you don't have to do anything bad. You just have to do nothing at all. And the thing is, you know, 90% of businesses fail because they stop doing what made them successful in the first place. And if we don't deal with reality, reality was going to deal with us. Because the thing is, is facts don't care if you believe them or not. I just want to throw this out here. I think it's kind of interesting. My mirror that I look in every morning has never once did my inventory. It's never told me that I was complacent. It's never told me, you know, it, it, it doesn't do that. Because the thing is, you know, a good example is like a pickle inside a jar can't read its own label. You know, just like a fish can't see water. So sometimes, you know, we don't see that we're complacent. Just like some of the people on our team, they don't see they're complacent. But remember, success breeds complacency. Complacency breeds failure. Another thing that I think that really can cause complacency a lot of times with companies and people is profit. You know, if you're making a profit, sometimes it's really easy to just to sit back and get fat and happy and kind of rest on what you're doing and not keep getting better and whatnot. And that can be very dangerous. And we've all watched it happen. Because you got to remember, leaders are the people that we emulate and admire the most. People do as people see. You know, we get what we model. If we are complacent leaders, chances are the people on our team are going to be complacent as well. I remember when I was a kid. Uh, reading the very first self-help book I ever read. It, it was in my late teens. The book was called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. That book changed my life. And I'm going to share with you, if a simple book can change your life, why wouldn't you read a book? And, I, and I've said that so many times that I don't know why people don't take me up on this, because it did. The book Think and Grow Rich changed my life. And I remember it very clearly. There was a chapter in there called Auto-Suggestion. And the thing is, is, you know, the funny thing is, I, you know, I heard this recently on a podcast that, you know, most unhappiness in life 
is due to the fact that we are listening to ourselves rather than talking to ourselves. And that's true. You know, we're always telling ourselves that I'm not good enough, I'm not pretty enough, whatever. We're always doing that. But very rarely we ever take the time to tell ourselves, hey man, you got this, you can do this. You know, the funny thing is, most of us never take the time to think about what it is that we're thinking about. And the easiest way to get over, you know, to get a bit of self-control is, of course, is control your thoughts. If you want to have some self-control, it's only a matter of thought control. And it's just that easy. So again, I ask you, what do you want to be remembered for? Because the biggest threat to us is thinking somebody else is going to do our job. You know, I was listening to an audio book the other day and I heard that millennials are known as the passion generation. You know, they want to change the world. You know, they have a cause to fight for and a community belong, to belong to. So that being said, when you're in a leadership role, you know, we have to be able to do that with our mission statements or our vision statement to me is the most powerful one. You know, we have to be able to give the people on our team, you know, a cause to fight for. You know, like, not only that is a think of a scoreboard is wonderful. You know, lots of times, you know, if you if you were watching a hockey game, you would never watch it if there's no such thing as a scoreboard. So I think a scoreboard would actually be quite beneficial too. But, you know, it was Margaret Mead that says, you know, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed individuals can change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has. And that being said, you know, that could be you. That could be you and your group. You know, somebody has to help turn these people around. You know, I'll give an example. I, I love Chick-fil-A and I love Truett Cathy because Truett Cathy was the guy that actually started Chick-fil-A. And I heard this saying from him, and I think it's beautiful. He says, you know, if we want to become bigger, all we have to do is work on becoming better. And he says, is if we work on becoming better, our customers will demand we get bigger. Isn't that something? Again, the biggest threat to us is thinking somebody else is to do our job. We are the ones that help to help the complacent people and train the people. Because again, my experience has been human beings cannot stand meaningless. We love to win. So what do we do? Where do we go from here? So I've got some suggestions because, of course, you know, it, 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 you know, I want to make sure I help you all I can. And again, the first person we have to learn to lead is ourselves. And if you want to learn something, if you want to learn how to maybe help somebody with complacency, you want to get rid of complacency off the team, the easiest way to learn how to do something is to teach it. Okay? And the thing is, is what seems so simple to us, we might think, well, they just should know that. Well, they probably don't. They may have never heard of some of the stuff you've you thought of before. You know, they've never seen it before. And, and the simple fact is, is that, you know, you know more than you think you do. You've been doing this for so long, it just comes naturally to you. And you know more than you think you do. And it's up to us as leaders to share what we know with that next generations of leaders. And of course, you know, I would encourage you to try this. And it works good. I've did this before. Every time you have a meeting with your team, okay, I would encourage you to make sure and you give them their homework ahead of time. Say, look, we're having a meeting Tuesday afternoon. I'm asking you to bring one idea to the meeting, how we can improve the place, how we can make it better, either with safety or operations or efficiency. Bring one idea to the meeting. And the thing is, you challenge them to do that every meeting. And I can promise you one thing. When you hear their meetings, you got to reward them. Because you got to remember, what gets rewarded gets repeated. They bring an idea to the meeting, reward them. And you are going to see when you hear, you got to remember, the people closest to the fire know it's burning. So when they bring in the ideas, you know that's what it's going to take to fix, you know, to make things better. You take their ideas, and all of a sudden, now that it's their ideas, 
you, you know, they will walk on burning coals to make sure their ideas work. I promise you that. You know, it's called fishing for ideas. Another great way to get them involved is the next time somebody comes to you with a question or a problem or a situation, whatever you want to call it, if you have the time, this is a part that sometimes can be tricky, but if you have the time, say, look, that's a great question. But remember, people will live up to the expectations we put on them. So you just say to them, say, look, I want you to go for coffee or you'll come back in 15, 20 minutes. I want you to think of three things that we can do to fix this problem. Because I know you have the answers in you. We just got to draw them out. So, of course, that person goes away and they come back in a few minutes and they've got three ways or three answers will say to you the question. And you discuss it with them and you talk it over, which is the best one. And, and then, of course, when it's all done, when you've discussed the three of them, say, look, you decide. You decide. And the thing is, you're helping them and you're turning them into critical thinkers and you're proving to them that you want, you know, you, you want them to be involved. And of course, you know, your job, of course, is, you know, as a leader is to kind of create a new way of life for them, to have them thinking, to be critical thinkers on how to do stuff on their own. One of the things that I've seen that works miracles with any company, because I've seen it, I've witnessed, I've, I, it's happened to me. I, I've been a victim of it, but now I do it all the time. Never underestimate the power of third-party messaging. You know, a, 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 the thing is, is that the third party has the time to work with these people and motivate them. You don't have the time. You're the leader. you got you got your deadlines and, and stuff to do. You don't have the time. you got to use third parties, okay? And, and it works all the time. And I'll give an example. You know, when I was a kid, my dad had asked me to do something. I wouldn't listen to my dad. I don't know why. Maybe it was defiant. But my uncle Ernie lived next door, the farm next door. And Ernie would come over and Ernie would suggest the exact same thing. And because it was Ernie's idea, it was great. And I hear that all the time. I go into companies and people have turned around. They're doing stuff because I've got to work with them and they're just like all new people. And, and the owners have come up to me or the leaders have come up to me and say, hey, I can't believe how this person changed. What'd you do? And I said, well, I just suggested this. And they said, well, I've been telling them that for years. And why did they listen to me? Because you got to remember, you know, it's one of those things. Sometimes we have what's called the curse of experience. And because we're experienced with them, because we've got that personality or the relationship, they may not listen to us. So a third party, you know, can, can, works very well. And you got to remember, you get what you educate. You know, we get what we educate. So where can you start? Of course, one of the things I suggest to do, get a hold of Nesbitt training. That's the easiest thing to do, right? You know, let, let us you know, show you some of the programs that we have that we can help you with. And, and the most important thing is, is that any of this stuff that we talk about, it's like going to the gym. It has to be ongoing. It has to be ongoing. You know, I've been doing this now for, I guess, 10 years. And, and just recently... One of the things that I've seen has really gotten a lot of traction is, is I do personalized videos now for companies. And I'll do a little, maybe up to five-minute video or maybe three-minute video. I'll do one just for the team, send it out, and they share it at a meeting. Works miracles. It's only a few minutes. And the thing is, is that, you know, again, it's one of those things you can't imagine how those small things help people. You've got to remember, with people, it's, not, it's, it's the small things that really make the difference, okay? I want to end with something that what Jack Welsh used to always say. He says, you know, Jack Welsh used to lend a lot of his meetings. He says, you know, change before you have to. Change before you have to. And I'm going to tell you what I've lived by for the last number of years. I'm not good enough to stay the same, and I doubt you are either. 
Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Get a hold of us because I know that we can help you and your team. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and on YouTube. Uh, You know, we love being with you and thank you so much for taking in our podcast.